Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. My grace is sufficient for you. You remember that uh, you remember that passage? It's a powerful passage, isn't it? My grace is sufficient for you. It magnifies the very power of God and it takes away our power and it shows that we are weak, totally reliant upon the Lord. So um, in chapter 11, when we were uh, there not too long back, as we are in chapter 12 now, Paul gave, a, I think, a very graphic description of uh, the, the extreme sufferings. And you remember the uh, danger of death and the lashes, the rods, the shipwrecks, the frequent journeys where there were dangers there and from the robbers. And you remember dangers in the city and dangers on the sea, the labor and the hardship. <laughs> the sleepless nights, the hunger, the thirst. Christian life sometimes has some challenges, doesn't it? And then he said above that, and I will tell you, I I understand verse 28. I think I understand it very well. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Uh, I should have that kind of concern. Sometimes it really, really uh, can tear at you. Um, there is a concern constantly for the people in the church. And um, he says that those are weaknesses that he had. Those are sufferings that he had. That's in chapter 11. And then we get in chapter 12 and we get to see something a little bit on the extreme opposite end of this. In chapter 12, we see something that is uh, an extreme exaltation. We saw an extreme suffering, but there was an extreme exaltation. And remember, Paul is an apostle, and because of the different things that came into his life, like chapter 11, the extremities of his sufferings, that sometimes God has to give him a real oasis um, maybe a view that most people wouldn't be able to get. And he certainly did. He was caught up to the third heaven. And that would be memorable, wasn't it? And that's exactly where uh, he had been. What a dr- drastic uh, difference. It's a vision of paradise. And the thing is, he had to come back. <laughs> uh, he was there and... Uh, in the body, out of the body, it didn't make any difference. He was actually there. It was quite an exalted experience. And I think Paul has to have encouragement from God to continue on to be able to get through these things. It's quite the grace that God would have there to go through all this tribulation. And it came with an equalizer. The equalizer is the thorn in the flesh. So even at that, even with that exaltation he had, we see that there's a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger from Satan. And it's like it was to keep him humble. That's exactly what God tells him there. Does that mean Paul would have been filled with pride? Yeah. Do you know how easy it is for an apostle to be prideful? Well, it would be very easy to. Because they had some gifts and some parts of their ministry were different than anybody ever else in the history of the body of Christ. Some of the things that happened with them and their experiences. But it was God's grace that allowed him to get through all the difficulties and he depended entirely upon the sufficiency of Christ and his grace. That's what it is for everybody, isn't it? And... We know that he was a man that had many weaknesses. See that in chapter 11. But he knew that by his weaknesses, and even because of his exaltation, there was a weakness 
that came as a result of that. And so it's God's power that would be seen in Paul and not the power of Paul. We don't want to see our power be exalted, do we? We want God's power to be seen, that he be glorified. Sufficient grace to be able to get through those ordeals that he had. The reason that he boasted about that experience and the experiences of sufferings and this experience of exaltation is that he was defending his apostleship to the Corinthians. There were many accusations against him by the false apostles there. We see the defense that he makes and he reminds them that he had experiences that they couldn't have bragged about. They might have lied about some experiences that they had, but they could not hold a candle to the experiences that Paul had, whether it be the sufferings. Could they match the sufferings of Paul? No way. Do you know anybody that could have matched those sufferings? Except, of course, Christ. But any man, have they had that kind of sufferings that that Paul has had? So now we go into a text where he builds upon his case the sufferings, the exaltations, and now we come to the signs of an apostle. They can't hold a candle to that either. None of those, none of those of above can the false apostles match. Paul displayed signs, signs from God. So in our text today, we're going to see something that deals with Paul's supernatural experiences. He did the signs of a true apostle. There are signs that apostles had that were true. So he says, this is how you tell the difference between a true apostle and a false apostle. We also see that he had perseverance of suffering and utter selfishness. That is an apostle that has these things, and he never is a burden to them. Quite the signs that, uh, that he had. And we'll look at that today as um, we come upon the heels of the, the past experiences that he's had and then showing that those other guys were not true at all. Let's uh, grab our text, our Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the part that we were working on last week. And that will slide us into where we are at this week, too. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Let's pray. Father, as we look at Paul's words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that are the very words of God, help those words that you have written by Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, as they come to us, may they illuminate our minds on what your truth is and how it got to us. We glorify your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in uh, 
chapter 12, and we're starting at verse 9, and this is kind of where we left off last week when we spoke about uh, my grace is sufficient. It's everything you need and more. You don't need anything else. No matter what you're going through, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what? That'll answer the answer to all the questions. Even if you don't understand, you don't understand what's going on with you, go to the Scripture and let God give you His truth. What does it say? My grace is sufficient for you. Paul had an extreme suffering, whatever that thorn in the flesh was, and messenger of Satan, an angel of Satan. We came to the, I guess, the realization that is probably a false teacher or false teachers, as the whole context of the book is that. Seems to be that there might have been one that was really uh, challenging him all the way through this, and everything that he did, it was going up against the grain, it seemed. And so that's the way we interpreted that. Whatever it is, he had gone through some hard difficulties, and of course, some of that could be uh, this pain that he's suffering from, tormenting from. Uh, My grace is sufficient for you. Whatever you're dealing with, folks. If you can have that at the top of your list and realize God's going to take care of this. He always has before. How did he do it? By his grace. How's he going to do it in the future? By his grace. There's there's nothing else we can look at. Grace Community Church. Why do we have that name grace? We emphasize it so much. That's how we were saved. That's how we live. It is our life. Sufficient for us. Power is perfected in weakness. You ever felt weak? Well, the power of Christ dwells in the weak. If you realize that you are weak, that's how you become strong. Power is perfected in our weakness. Where human strength abounds, divine power actually can be overlooked. God's power can be not seen when we are strong in ourselves. But where human strength fails, and it will, and it does, the power then is clearly to be seen by God. And if you uh, turn to Lamentations 3, this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Of course, we know he's called the weeping prophet. He even wrote a book, not only Jeremiah... But Lamentations, to lament. Chapter 3, verse 19. I don't know how many of these verses we'll read, but we'll see in the situation that Jeremiah was in. It says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. It's tearing at me. You ever been there? Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. There we go. He gets his focus in the right direction. He gets humbled as he bows down to the Lord. And this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. He's humbled. He bows down to the Lord. He seeks Him out. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I wonder where a song came from there. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he'll have compassion. According to his abundant loving kindness or grace. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men 
to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit of these things the Lord does not approve. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Sovereign, isn't he? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth. Even the bad and the evil, do they not ultimately come from the Lord? Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Is that humbling? Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Wow. Kind of says it all. That's our journey. Did you notice the afflictions that he started with? Did you notice where he went with his afflictions? Went to the Lord, got humbled. And then he started remembering. He recalled to mind. Starts recognizing the loving kindness or the grace or the mercy of the Lord. It never ceases, does it? His grace is sufficient for you. There are very few men that are weak enough to be powerful. Do you want me to say that again? Sounds strange, doesn't it? There are very, very few men who are weak enough to be powerful. There aren't enough weak men, women, so that they could be powerful. There are many people who are too powerful to be powerful. The powerful are really not that powerful, are they? Because they don't recognize their weakness, that they need the Lord and His grace that's sufficient. Power is perfected in what? Weakness. That's where power is seen. And that's what he says right here. Right after he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. The world hates that kind of statement. It makes people look weak. Like rugs to be walked on, right? No one is too weak to be powerful. If you're weak enough, you could be powerful. Many people, though, are too strong. Strong in themselves. And as one goes along in their life, they will see enough humbling things that happen. Embrace it. Embrace the suffering. Saw it with Jeremiah. We see it with Paul. You can see it with Moses. You can see it with Abraham. You can see it with Elijah, Elisha. Go right on through the prophets. You'll see it with Christ, which is the ultimate. All through the, the New Testament. You'll see that, as Paul writes about it, the apostles. What this does, this journey, makes us weak. It humbles. It humbles us. We need Him. It drives you to dependence upon the Lord. In the midst of our weaknesses that we have and that we go through is where you become powerfully strong. So now the Lord reigns. You can think of Samson. He was kind of strong in himself and the things that he did and the way that he did them. But at the very end, did you notice that he became weak? Lost his eyesight. Couldn't do the things that he had done. And all of a sudden, the strength started coming back. The Lord had one thing in mind. That was for him to defeat the enemy. It happened. And the glory of the Lord was seen at the very end. Samson is actually mentioned in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. He had to become weak to become strong. Do you see that illustration? He was strong in himself, wasn't he? We saw the sin there. Job. Job was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. I'm sure he wasn't a prideful man, but yet at the same time, he had a ways to go. The Lord uh, knocked him down. And we see the outcome. 
course, there was quite the great blessing, but not before he sees the holiness, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, all of those details, characteristics, the very nature of God that he had never even thought of before. And he became stronger, didn't he? But no one ever honed himself like the person of Jesus Christ. No one was ever besieged, beleaguered, attacked, assaulted like Christ was, right? He's our focus. He's who we look at. Would you say that that is absolute triumph? Philippians 2, we see him humbled to the point of death. The same chapter, the same context, we then see that he is exalted as Lord. So that is the idea of power is perfected in weakness. So therefore, would you say that that is something to boast about? That's what Paul has already boasted about as he uses that term boasted. Most gladly, therefore, right, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. I'll rather boast. Most gladly. Uh, that means to take pleasure in. Paul took pleasure in boasting about his weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses. There's a reason for that. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The power of Christ may dwell. His very strength. You know what the word for power there is? Our word dunamis again, dynamite, and to dwell is episkeneo, means to dwell in the sense of being tabernacled. He tabernacled. The Lord protected him. He kept him. It's kind of an Old Testament thought. As the Lord was over him, it suggested this Yahweh of the Old Testament Covenant, the promises, the tabernacle there, the very power of God existed, was seen with that tabernacle. The power of God was seen. Cloud by day, fire by night, there's the tabernacle in the midst of them. That the power of God may be in me, to take up one's abode. The very power of God in us, isn't that what we want? The very power of God. You know what? God has multiple ways to draw us to him as he forms us into the image of Christ. That's his ultimate work, to be like Christ. That sounds impossible in the day that we live in right now. That's what he's doing. And he wants to make us weak so that his power is magnified, that it's exalted in weak vessels. You remember earlier that he called himself a what? A jar of clay? A broken vessel? And his grace is sufficient for broken vessels. If he's a broken vessel, what are we? We're broken vessels. We need his grace because there's no way that this cup here is going to be able to hold anything. And we must be underneath that fountain, that flow. We must be underneath that, catching that. Paul goes on after he says, the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses. I'll boast about I'm content with it. Boy, this sounds really strange, doesn't it? I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Does anybody do that? Well, sometimes I think, you know, we have uh, like, we have war wounds or, or you know, the soldiers might compare, hey, you haven't seen anything yet, look at this. You know, we've all done that too. You know, we've had physical ailments and I'll check the, the surgery out. Look at this mark that I have here. That, that's okay. That's okay. But there are wounds there that we really don't really brag about either, right? But he says, I boast about it. I'm content. I'm satisfied. Are you satisfied with life? Are you content with anywhere you are at in life? Are you content? Now, we shouldn't be content with our growth in the Lord, 
Please don't get that wrong because we are to be growing. Don't stop. Don't be a standstill. Don't, don't stop and say, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to lay back now. I'm just going to kind of be quiet for a while, right? Don't be content in that sense. We should be growing closer to the Lord, being strong in Him by being weak, but being content in the life that He's given us. Paul says insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. You name them. He says, it's okay. This is where the Lord has put me. The Lord is going to be glorified in this sense. He's made me weak here. I can't wait to see His power in this situation. He always says the opposite sometimes, the Lord does, doesn't He? Because humans think opposite of God. It's not opposite. But the humanness of us always wants to go against God. That's why we always have to constantly be studying God's Word. Insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, it comes back, when I am weak, that I am strong. My, how many songs have been written about that? How many sermons have been written about that? When I am weak, I am strong. Sums it all up, doesn't it? And he is bragging about that because this is what the Lord has done. Look at the work that he's done. Look at the work he's done in Corinth as he writes this to them. He even says, as we move into verse 11, I have become foolish. He's foolish in the sense he's having to play their game. They're boasting, so he says, okay, I'll become a fool and boast too. I'll show you what the Lord has done in me. So it's really not boasting in that sense. But he's, you know, he's using that kind of terminology. He says, you yourselves compelled me. You made me do this now. Okay, I've brought out those sufferings that I had, and I brought out something that I held back for 14 years. Paradise, the experience there, he held it back. Nobody knew anything about it. And he says, okay, you're making me do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to brag. But here it is. Here's what the Lord did. So I'll play your foolish game. Actually, I should have been commended by you. Instead of the, the Corinthians were believing that message from the false apostles, and they were even starting to tear him down. And he said, I should have been commended. You know what I did for you? For in, in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles. Okay, those guys are better than the true apostles, these, these eminent apostles, they're far above better than me, right? Those eminent apostles. Even though I'm a nobody, I should have been commended by you. I'm not really inferior to them at all, he says. I was not inferior in any way. Even though I am a nobody. Why does he say that? All the way through his defense here, and especially 10, 11, 12 chapters. He uses irony. He uses sarcasm. He builds it up to make a point. He's talking about himself, a nobody, a cracked pot, a jar of clay, an earthen vessel. He's already said that. Formerly, we know that he's a blasphemer. We know that he was a persecutor responsible for killing Christians. He even says that he's a chief of sinners. But he puts the power of God on display now and his weaknesses. He doesn't really like to talk about his superiority. It's like it's a shame that I have to do this. I have to remind you. It's kind of a foolishness in this because I've been forced to do it. And that's a thought all the way through. He became foolish. Because he had to play the game. It was necessary for him to do this now. You know what? He certainly beat them at their own game, didn't he? They couldn't suffer like he did. They didn't. They did not go to heaven and see paradise as he did. And hear what he heard. They weren't apostles. They didn't have signs of an apostle. That's where he's drawing them into now. He was not inferior. He's a true apostle. They are not. 
Now, let's go to chapter 12, verse 12. After saying, he says, I'm a nobody, and then he says, well, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. You guys saw it, experienced it, with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. He says, mouthful here. He says, look, okay, I've just mentioned power. I'm going to talk about power now. You want to see the power of God in my weakness? And somebody will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought you said he didn't like to talk about, you know, like the, the miracles and the, the power and all this. Well, it's time to bring it out. He didn't like to actually talk about visions. He didn't like to talk about revelations. If you look back in earlier in the, the chapter, verse 1, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. That's where he goes on to share his experience that he had paradise. He says, it's not profitable that I really share this with you. What does he mean it's not profitable? Well, it's not reproducible. It's not verifiable. He can tell that story, but how do we know that's even really true? Well, we know it's true because it's inspired by God for him to say in this, because if this is a lie, then God's word is a lie. And how do we know what to trust, right? So, you know, he's in, he was inspired to do this. And it's like he can't prove that it really ever happened. It's, it's a story of truth. But he can't prove it. So he says, it's necessary that I do this, but it, it's not profitable. That's the idea. And then he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Now we're talking about what was visible. What well, was something they knew to be true? They heard, they saw, they felt. They, the, the biggest miracle is salvation to start with. They experienced salvation in Corinth. The church was there. Signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Now we're talking about they saw miracles. They, they knew that if they had, didn't have a miracle happen to them, they know that there was the greatest miracle of all. Salvation did happen. False teachers are agents of Satan. We've already seen that. Chapter 11, that sets all that up. Paul says, you know the difference because you saw the signs of a true apostle. And it was coming through me. I didn't do it. It was God working through me. It was um, in your midst. Paul assigned, these are signs. They were performed, the whole perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles. He says, you should know the difference. And what God was doing was authenticating the apostle by certain signs, which evidently happened there in Corinth. First, what's an apostle? And we'll go through a few of those things. But if you uh, were to look in Ephesians 2.20, I think it would be good to ask, are there apostles today? If we look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Because there are people claiming to be apostles today. How do we discern? We have to use God's word. He's talking about um, having access to the spirit, spirit to the Father. and We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're of God's household, this church, the household. Having been built on the foundation of Catch that? Of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the building being fitted together is growing into holy temple of the Lord. You see what's happening. There's a cornerstone. There is the foundation. Everything is built upon that. The apostles received direct revelation 
to write down. We have the completed word of God today as we read this. You can be assured you have everything that God has wanted us to know. Nothing less. Nothing more. This is the word of God. The foundation is laid. The building goes on the foundation. That's key. The word of God is the foundation. The apostles wrote it down. And others who were close to the apostles. Paul being one of those who wrote 13 epistles, one of these that were here today. Okay, how do you know, how do you know that this man here, Paul, is an apostle? Well, it says it here in our Corinthian passage. He had the signs. He had the signs of what a true apostle are. True apostles are. Um, like I say, a lot of people claim to be apostles. At that time, there were people claiming to be apostles. They were the apostles. Do you see what Paul had to go up against? They were not true. But the people bought the lie... And they were following them even more than they were Paul or not even Paul at all now. Do you see why Paul is defending himself? He takes this whole letter, basically. And he is certainly building the case in these last chapters, isn't he? God used signs for a certain unique group of people. He signaled out his apostles with certain signs. First of all, we could take it in the broadest possible sense. How do you identify an apostle? We go to Acts chapter 1. And at this time, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's ascended. Apostles are... saying, okay, what do we do? Judas committed suicide. He's no longer part of the twelve. We need another one. Verse 21, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Well, they had to be to been walking with the Lord, seeing everything that he did, hearing his preaching and teaching. It goes all the way back to the baptism of John till he was taken up. So they have to have that qualification who they're going to draw from. And we know that's, uh, you, know, you think of Mattathias there, right, uh, who they drew for to make that 12th apostle. And he said, wait a minute, there's, there's one called Paul. What about him? Well, he said he was one of one untimely born. He was not there. There's a special case for Paul. And so the, the next thing is, is you have to see the risen Lord To see the risen Lord. Of course, that's what it's it's talking about there. Paul saw the risen Lord whenever he was knocked off his horse, as you'll remember. And there were a few other times where he'd say, this is the Lord who had been arisen, came back for him. He was on the road to Damascus, if you'll remember, to kill Christians, persecute them, and comes down to the Lord says, that's enough. Okay, watch this. And he chose his apostle. You see, Paul was not after to try to be a Christian. He was going the opposite direction, trying to persecute them. Do you see God's sovereign act there? Is that God's sovereign grace? It's it's extreme, but that's what God does. We're always going the wrong direction. God and his grace that he's chosen will grant them salvation. Pretty uh, amazing way. Uh, another thing that is that they have plenary knowledge. We're talking about revelation directly from the Lord to write down. Uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, rendering the apostles infallible. 
whenever they wrote down Scripture. We're not saying they were infallible in their whole lives and everything that they did. But when they wrote down Scripture, they could not write in error. Everything is from the Lord. God's still using their personality. Amazing thing that he can do that so that we here today can read God's word and be assured that this is the truth of God. Is that amazing? Don't take it for granted, right? So they're infallible. They receive revelation. If there's any other revelation being made, then we have incomplete Bibles. Everything that needed to be said was said. Remember the apostles built on the foundation early in the church for the first few hundred years as they put the Bible together. They all recognized that this had come from God when we finally got the full Bible. Um, Nobody was going around claiming to be apostles because they knew the apostles had already died out by 90 some odd A.D., 95 to 100, somewhere in that vicinity when John the apostle was the last one. So we can be assured that we don't have the apostles anymore. We don't have those specific kind of prophets. There's a general apostle who means to be sent out. But we're not talking about the ones who have seen the risen Lord that write down revelation. There was an external protection that apostles had also. We have protection from the Lord and we always will. And and He'll make sure that we live until it's time to die. He's always done it and He will continue to do it that way. But... It's amazing. They, there were some external protections that Paul had that had to be tremendous because he was at points of death all throughout his ministry. Sometimes he'd even say, we, we gave up hope. This was it. And God got him through it. Even when he was stoned and left to die, that's pretty much of a miracle to get up and walk back into town. Wow. You think God protected him? Yeah. Have you been protected by God in in a lot of situations? Look back on your own life and say, I don't even understand why I'm still here. You should have seen whenever I was was driving at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, after working all night and then driving 500 to 1,000 miles and into the next day and the sun is shining. But before that, (laughs) you wonder... I wonder how many times I fell asleep because I don't know how long it was, but I was driving down the road and I don't remember anything for a certain amount of time. might have been a half a second. I don't know. All I know is that I hit the side of the road several times. Whoa. And that's with speakers blaring, drinking soda, chewing gum, yelling and singing and doing all sorts of things. Lord, thank you. Because I had no idea how I kept on moving along. Um, but there's a, there's a protection that he does always have. But it was special to work through Paul, the apostles. And they were true to the doctrine that they delivered. They delivered doctrine, didn't they? That's really what they were about. They were sent to go to places where the word of God was taught and also revealed. As we read here in Second Corinthians it's an amazing thing. True. And, and they lived it out. Um, not only did they have the apostles' doctrine, as we see it in Acts, but they were true to that doctrine as they wrote it or as they preached it. They lived it out. So how could the people question this? It says, Paul says, they were performed. These signs, wonders, and miracles, they were performed among you. You saw these. You saw it. You were there. They have to think, well, we can't deny it, right? They seeing these same kind of signs from those other guys. Apostles have these signs. Now, that's a miracle power that the apostles had, isn't it? Specific miracle power. Look back in Matthew 10:1. Jesus chose the disciples. And we'll go through a little bit of brief history here. This is during the Gospels. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits. 
to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Wow. He has the authority to give this, and he gave it to those 12. Think about it. This really happened. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a story. This is true. The apostles experienced it. They started doing miracles. Did they do it in themselves? Of course not. They were too weak to do these powers. But God worked in them. Now let's go into the book of Acts, chapter 13. Here you have the gospel continue to be moving on. 13, verse 10 and 11. Here was a guy by the name of Elamus, the magician. Verse 9 says, But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Like God starts working on him. Boy, how would you like to have a gaze fixed on you? And said, You who are full of deceit. Now, Paul is full of the Holy Spirit. This guy is full of deceit. He's not a Christian. He was going around masquerading himself as quite the Christian. And fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Man. <laughs> now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Here's how it affected somebody else. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, be amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He saw the miracle, he saw that, but what made him believe? What was it really all about? Was it about the miracle? No, it's the teaching of the Lord. It's about who Christ is. That's where all these things go to. Wow. A Gentile came to the Lord because he heard the Word of God. And the Word of God was authenticated by this miracle that had happened. The guy went blind. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Look at Acts 14, verse 9 and 10. You know, Paul just didn't do that willy-nilly on everybody, did he? That was time to do that. God worked in him. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Do you catch that word? As he spoke. That's, that's the key here. As he spoke. Who, when he had fixed his gaze on him. There's another one this time. It's different this time. And it seemed that he had faith to be made well said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. Wow. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men that will come down to us. Now these are pagans, right? <laughs> yeah, they missed the whole point. <laughs> The, the Barnabas, uh, you know, like Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermas. The chiefs, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't catch it. They took their gods and translated That's who they are, right? Anyway, chapter 19, 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Who's performing these miracles? God is performing the miracles through the hands of Paul. It says it all. That's how it's done. God takes a weak vessel, puts his power into this Paul. Even handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Then he had Jewish exorcists and talking about evil spirits and have a different story there, and we see what happens if you read on down, if you know the story. But we move on. Chapter 20, verse 9 and 10. There was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. <laughs> kind of like here, after we've been here three, four, or five hours. And, 
a little sleepy. As Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, fell down from the third floor, was picked up dead. Paul went down, fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up, broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. (laughs) Wasn't going to let a dead man cause the problem of not getting the rest of his teaching. He'll just raise him back up. They'll get the rest of the story. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. I guess so. We all like that story, don't we? We've never had that happen in here. I don't expect it to happen. I guess God could do that. But that's really not the norm. But you notice on all of these, there's always an apostle present when these kind of things happen. Who are apostles? We already defined that. Chapter 28, verse 3 through 6 of Acts. on an island of Malta, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, laid them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. This is a killer snake here. They know it. But they're expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Wow. You notice he never claims that the power was his. He doesn't say, I performed them among you. He renounces that he was a miracle worker. He's not a miracle worker. There were times that he couldn't work miracles. Remember chapter 11? If all these things happen, you know, Paul, you're an apostle. You can get out of jail just like that. Go through the walls. Paul, you're out in a shipwreck, you know. But God delivered him through those things. And his weaknesses, we see God's power in that even more than, than a miracle. But there were certain times when these kind of things happened. He just flicks a snake in there. But God is using that for the ultimate. It's pointing to God's truth. So this is a contradistinction to these apostles here who are claiming all these powers that they have. They're only claiming. So signs, wonders, and miracles, they definitely go hand in hand. Signs point to something. Each time you see a sign out on the highway, you don't get out and say, oh, I'm at my destiny now. Right. It says Kansas City, 122 miles. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> that's pointing to something that's the destination. The signs are not just for a spectacle. They're not for entertainment for the crowds or just to impress people, to make people feel better. Even the healing itself, even though Jesus himself, as he healed, even the apostles that were with him while he was walking here on earth, we know that most of the land of Israel, all the people living it, had demons cast out. Miracles were done. It, 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 it's like it got rid of all the illnesses. That short time period. But what good is it if they don't trust in Christ, right? If they don't hear the word of God. What's all this pointing to? Why did God point to the true apostle? Well, the focus is not on Paul, but he gives them signs that they are true apostles so that people will realize that Paul is pointing to something else and that's Christ and it's the message that Paul has. 
He has signs. The apostles have signs because they have a message. How can they believe that message that has never been delivered before? How can they believe it? That's why the message is authenticated. If anybody and everybody could do these things, then it's kind of meaningless to have signs for an apostle. Do you understand it? Well, you know, people are saying everybody should be able to, to heal and be healed. And first of all, if that be the case, then nobody should ever die. If God answers every prayer and that we should stay, you know, that's, that's, that's a fallacy right there. But not anybody and everybody uh, willy-nilly just goes around, you know, healing people and doing great miracles and signs and doing powerful things like uh, Samson did. But the signs of a true apostle are unique. That's what set him apart from those false apostles. That's why he has to bring... It's a rarity. It's uncommon. Miracles are something that are supernatural. Supernatural doesn't happen every day, every moment, constantly, all the time. Even though God is saving people, that's the most supernatural event there can be because it's coming from God. But those things happen rarely. That's why it is a miracle. Otherwise, we don't have miracles. The next word is wonders. It's the effect of seeing this. It's an amazement. It's shocked, even horrified. Wonders simply describe the effect of the signs, of the supernatural. People can be shocked as they look at a sign. They can be overwhelmed. Often in the New Testament, people are what? Amazed. And that's part of that. Wonders. They're in wonder. And the next word is powers or miracles. The word for miracle there actually is dunamis. Powers. Supernatural source. It's the source of the miracle. Powers. Where do they get the power from? Well, we're too weak. Paul's already said that. I boast most gladly, therefore, about my weaknesses, right? So that the power of God may be seen in me. And boy, does he define that as he gets to the signs of a... Do you see how expository preaching and teaching of the Word of God, expositorily reading it, do you see how it explains what's going on? If we take one verse out of, the, out of context, all of a sudden it can make a change in what it's really meaning there. The apostles were... I authenticated with what they said with these. Would God give signs to people with unrevealed new revelation? Once the revelation is given, you don't need the authentication. God can do that. Don't ever get me wrong. God does do miracles. God does do something. But it's in His timing. He doesn't do it even because an apostle would want it to happen. It happened when God wanted it to happen as he used them. You know, if I want to authenticate a preacher today, I don't look for his miracles, but is he consistent with Scripture? Is he teaching the Word of God? And is he teaching it in the right way? Is he explaining what this passage means? I think we see a characteristic of the apostles according to this statement. God frequently worked through them at that time. Miraculous things. They were designed to authenticate the message. He doesn't say the signs and wonders and miracles that are being wrought. At this time, he says, that were performed among you. He was not even with them at the time, but at one time he was with them. These were actually done. Don't take that away. He introduced himself to the Corinthians. There were obviously miracles, signs, and wonders happening here. How do we evaluate a ministry then? Evidently, the Corinthians didn't, didn't pass the test of evaluating the apostles, the false apostles that came in, did they? Do you think they failed the test? As a whole, yeah. They used improper criteria. They assessed the ministry because of the power, the so-called power that was happening, maybe some kind of displays that looked like something. or in a, They assessed the leaders maybe really in their flamboyant outward appearance. 
saying things that were not true. Is there suffering going on, Paul says? They can't do it. He had suffering. They had showmanship. It's faithfulness to the Lord. Second thing is, is that they are exploiting kind of figures. As uh, he had said earlier in uh, verse 20 of chapter 11, you, you will bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you. If he exalts himself, he hits you in the face. In other words, it's the kind of person you want. You want somebody to smack you in the face, to take advantage of you. You want to join a club, sign up in this club, and send out $15, $30 a month, $20, $50 to these parasites. And they live on that kind of thing on TV. It's so common. Why is it so successful? Because people evaluate that these guys are true. Well, this is amazing, all the things that's going on. You know, and they've got to be true. They've got to be right. Uh, the outward displays that seem to be happening in the case is, is that most often they're charlatans. This New Testament right here is written for us today. Uh, if you study church history down through the centuries, you'll see this thing, same thing repeated over and over and over and over again. Paul warned them here. We um, are warned. You look down through the ages of, of miracles, God worked through Moses. The law was given. There were miracles happening there in Egypt. The plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, the water from the rock, the law, God, you know, the law of God coming down from that mountain. Joshua also was an instrument as they went into, uh, into the land and the promised land. But all these things were authenticating Moses who he was. That was a time period that was short, but God used a flurry of miracles. Uh, later on, he used the prophets. Moses represented the law. Elijah and Elisha are the first of the prophets in a sense of the prophets who come that are, that are given in here, that are written by them. And there were miracles happening there, especially with Elijah and Elisha. And it established the prophets of the laying down of the word of God. And, of course, the extreme display is Christ. How do you know Jesus is the Messiah? Well, he authenticated his Messiahship by demonstrating his power over the kingdom of darkness. With his casting out of demons, his power over this fallen world that we live in, showing his power over the natural world, showed that he was supernatural as he walked on water, fed the multitudes, miracles of healing, that's a sign, isn't it? sign that he was God and what he said was true. He created astonishment. A sign that pointed to the Messiah. So the, Messiah's, or, uh, the Messiah then passed that on to the apostles. Here come the preachers of Jesus. And they write down the true word of God. God authenticated them with miracle power. And you look in the book of Acts, you look in Romans, you look in Hebrews... He, as he confirmed those miracles, he authenticated. That's the idea. Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4. That word was written because of that. I like uh, Romans 15, verse 17. It's uh, time to close here. I want to leave a little bit of time for prayer. Um, by the way, if you can think of any prayers to bring up, we would love to do that. Romans 15, 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Do you, see, do you see signs and wonders? It's all right there in the power of the Spirit. But it was word and deed. The deed authenticates the word. And as he finishes this, it's fully preaching the gospel of Christ. The two go hand in hand. 
And uh, so the purpose is it's an extraordinary, supernatural event wrought by God. A human agent creates wonder, doesn't it? It points to a true spokesman. Miracles are connected with signs, wonders, introduces a new, new era of revelation. You had Moses, 1500, around about 7, 750. You had Elijah and Elisha. About another 700 years, you have Christ and the apostles. There were reasons for that. If you, if you see how that was divided up, the law was given. The prophets give the word of God. Christ is the truest revelation and the apostles then were given revelation from God to write down. This is what we have. It authenticates the messengers. It authenticates the message and it instructed to the observers that God was revealing himself. We finish up with verse 13. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? How were you entreated by me as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? He says, I I cheated you because I became a a, a burden because I didn't ask for any money from you? He didn't, did he? What's he saying here? The Corinthians never realized what they had in Paul. They had the apostle Paul teaching them. We have the Word of God. We have preachers today. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Until next time.